some, some really, really good times and some difficult times. And as true as any, uh, as true as of any of our history, that, that can be the case. Um, our lives are full of really good seasons and then some rocky seasons. And, and so I just want to praise God for all of it. Amen. Can we just praise God for everything that he allows us to go through? Because well, what does the word say? That he works all things together for the good. And what is the good? It's not what we define good to be. The good is specifically conforming us to the image of Christ. And so he is doing that work. And so I just want to praise him for that. Uh, throughout the morning, again, we're going to have some people come and share in just a few minutes here. Um, and then also we will still get to our uh, series this morning as well as we are studying through the Passion Week. Um, and we will continue that series so that we will end still on Easter Sunday as uh, the Lord is led. And so, but I do want to let you know that uh, following our service today, uh, in the fellowship hall, there is a luncheon that's going to be going on. And, and I just want to say again, uh, if you did not bring a dish to pass, uh, please, you are welcome to stay. Do not feel that you cannot stay. There will be, I'm sure, plenty of food. I also heard, I got here a little earlier this morning, and so uh, I was hearing from some people that were coming in around 10 o'clock or so, or a little after, that the aroma was drawing people in. I don't know if that's true. If you found that to be true with the, uh, the pit going outside with the chicken and the pork and all those good things going on. So um, if you literally were driving by and just smelled that and came in here, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. It's good to have you. Amen. Uh, but we are excited for what the Lord's going to do in our midst this morning. Um, as I was kind of thinking about what we could do to celebrate uh, this morning, one of the things in the fellowship hall we do want to remind you of as well is we kind of have like an open house style where there's a table back there, uh, some photo albums, a photo board, some different things. Um, you can see pictures of this building being built. You can see some pictures from the old building. Um, you can see uh, a couple pictures from our first Sunday in this building. Our former pastor, Tom Blunt, there, he has since gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, but we are so thankful for the hair pulpit and preach the word. And we are so thankful for that. Me excluded. Um, some of you are like, he's going to just let that lie out there, huh? Great preacher. Um, I do want to also say we have always been a mission-minded church. And we're so thankful for that. Uh, many of you know I shared before um, about Tim and Chris C., uh, being missionaries that have recently retired with Ethnos 360 that we have supported for many years. And then Ron and Debbie Abram, um, I mentioned them a few weeks back. They were the missionaries that um, translated the Bible uh, for the Buddhic people in Senegal, West Africa. They were the ones that I shared that um, actually were 20 years into their ministry before they saw their first convert and actually had people dropping support because they weren't fruitful enough, um, and, and just now to see the ministry that God has done. So uh, just kind of in a one way, um, kind of by chance of the Lord working through it, and another way kind of purposely reaching out to them, um, we, uh, this year, uh, many of you know that Abrams retired uh, a couple years back, I believe it was in 2020, and we prayerfully considered what we needed to do with our missions, and so um, we continue to support them into their retirement for these last couple of years. This year, um, kind of at their recommendation, we've decided to um, stop supporting them monthly financially that way and begin praying about bringing on a new missionary that's active in the field. Um, again, Tim and Christy are still being supported into their retirement as well. But they actually reached out and sent us a letter thanking us for our support and shared some things about the church. And I'd like to share just a little bit of that this morning from Tim and Christy as well as Ron and Debbie Abram. Now, one thing that's kind of cool is, as you'll hear in the letters, uh, Tim and Chris C. So Chris C. and Debbie Abrams are sisters. And so uh, that's kind of cool. And you'll find out through the letters how their stories intersected. 
And then also, you guys know we support Ben and Jody Baum, who work with Off Grid down in Missouri. Uh, Jody Baum is Debbie Abram, uh, Ron and Debbie Abrams' daughter. And then we also support Tammy C., who is Chris and Tim C.'s daughter. And so I just want to share that because that, that generational missionary giving. We are just so thankful to continue to support these families, um, not only them, but also their children. And we pray God will raise up missionaries in our midst and that we will be ascending church once again. Listen to what Tim and Chris had to say. It says here, wow, 125 years. North Goodland will always have a very special place in our hearts. <clears throat> I'm really going to try to do this without getting emotional. So just bear with me. Chris first came to the church with her family, Ray and Lillian Linky. Many of you remember the Linkies. Uh, when she was about 12 years old, um, I'm gathering this was just a couple years ago. Okay, just, I don't think it was 125 years ago, but it was a couple years ago. Tim's family, Glenn and Wilma C., joined when he was 15. It was so special that Tim and Chris met at North Goodland. Uh, the church had a vital part in teaching and encouraging us in all those teen years. Oh, what memories. Chris and her family were supported by North Goodland when they returned to Brazil in 1965. Uh, the Linkies were missionaries to Brazil. So again, multi-generational missionaries. Chris and Tim were married in 1972, and North Goodland became their sending church in 1974. So we've been supporting them since 1974. Uh, it's been such a blessing and encouragement to have you pray for us and support us ever since we served at New Tribes Missions, now Ethnos 360 Training Center. How can we thank you enough? Together, Tim and Chris started Off Grid Tech, a ministry of Ethnos 360, to train and help missionaries handle the physical aspects of living in some of the most remote places on earth. Today, they are retired, but still working with Off Grid to help evangelical missionaries from over 100 evangelical missions. Every time we visit North Goodland, we feel so welcome, like coming home. We know you will continue to impact uh, new generations of missionaries until Christ returns. What a blessing. What a blessing. I, I can't wait till we see the Lord allow us to send out. And I know we send out missionaries into our work fields. We send out missionaries in our communities. Um, but I believe God wants us to raise up, train up, and send out missionaries into global missions. I believe that. Uh, Ron and Debbie Abrams, I'm going to kind of uh, just pick some parts of the letter. It's a little bit lengthier, uh, but I do want to read some important parts here. And then these will be available in their, uh, at, on the wall out there, in their missionary wall here soon. It says here, thank you for your kind letter. We totally understand, obviously, with the support transferring to another missionary who is not retired. It says here, may God's richest blessing be on all those you support. Thank you for going the extra mile and supporting us several years into our retirement. It was such a help as we adjusted and settled into the U.S., we will great, uh, eternally be grateful for North Goodland and how it supported our family from the time I was a kid in Brazil. So this is, uh, again, Debbie referring to her time in Brazil with Chris and uh, Raymond and Lillian Linky. Until now, North Goodland has an extraordinary love for missions around the world. All, all through the years, the church encouraged us in countless ways through their warm welcome, hospitality, godly teaching, and guidance, faithful prayers, and support. Their love for us and the Buddhic people. And the way they treated us like family. We have rejoiced, laughed, cried together over these many years. We are so blessed because of you all. We had no idea in 2019 when we were with the Buddhist people finishing up our part of the work and saying goodbye to these dear people that the pandemic would come and virtually stop travel. 
We regularly keep in touch with, those, with the Christians, meaning in the Buddhic people. The Bible teaching and outreaches are continuing. Some young men from second-generation believers have a desire to finish translating the Old Testament. So they did the New Testament. They're working on the New Old Testament. They are beginning to be trained to that huge task. They love reading the Bible in their own heart language. Love that. goes on to say this. Uh, we thank God for you and the blessing and encouragement you have always been to us. North Goodland is certainly blessed to have you as their pastor. Again, we can put an asterisk there, whatever. Um, and this is kind of cool. I kind of, I, I remember this, but I didn't know if they would remember this. Um, we have fond memories of you as a young man visiting us in Rochester Hills. And then she says to the church, uh, if you're ever in Missouri, please stop by and stay a while. Our home is always open. May God's abundant blessing be on you and all those at North Goodland Baptist Church. Amen. Uh, it's kind of cool. I, when I was in c- community college here at Mott, I had to do an a interpersonal multicultural communications class. Do you know what that, that translates to? It was kind of a, just a flaky class. I'll be real honest. We just sat in a circle and talked about how we felt about things. I don't know what was going on. I just left class angry all the time. I don't know why. Um, not really, not really. But um, I, was, I was able to do a presentation on a different people group other than my people group. And of course, you know me, I'm, that's just a gospel sharing moment is all that is. And so I was able to go down and these guys spent so much time with me in their home, uh, just giving me all these resources. I mean, his PowerPoint, he was showing the churches, um, New Testament examples of the New Testament books that they were translating, all of this stuff. And I was able to give a presentation on this people group. And oh, by the way, I just happened to talk about the people that I met, the missionaries. And it was so great. Just a side note. I love that they remember that because that really made an impact on me. But always take the opportunity to include the gospel because you never know when this opportunity to come up. And somebody actually said to me, so wait, so these people gave up everything here in the States to go to those people and just tell them about Jesus? And I said, absolutely. And I said, why would somebody ever do that? I said, it's a great question because the gospel is true. And I just laid out the gospel by God's grace. And it was so amazing that they were able to come alongside me and do missions work, not just in Senegal, West Africa, but in Michigan, right there in that community college. And so what a praise to be able to know them. And so I just wanted to share that because I think it's huge to think about the impact that you're making. There currently are missionaries that we're supporting from the layers in Poland to, to the Tikas in the Philippines. And when you give, you're giving to that impact. You're giving to multi-generational missionaries that are making a difference for Christ. And so we're so thankful for that. Also this morning, um, and I wasn't going to have everybody come, but in just kind of thinking through our church's history, there are a few families that have been here for a very like, long time, generational, right? Like grandparents and grew up in our church back when the C's talked about being here. And so I wanted to have a couple of them share this morning. And so I'm not sure if both are coming, but I'm going to have Steve and Kelly come to the platform and join me up here. They're going to share just a little bit. Um, apparently, Steve was pretty adamant that Kelly's the one talking. So, yeah. So, Steve and Kelly are going to come and share a little bit with you guys about their history here at North Goodland. Yeah, Steve's got to sit in the chair. So, so. he actually sat in the chair. So, Pastor John asked us to speak or share a little bit about um, the impact that this church has had on our lives. And I was like, no, I don't have anything to share. I don't want to talk. I don't want And it's like killing me right now. But um, when I got thinking about it, it's like this church is a huge part 
of my life. Um, it was even before I was born. Um, I was extremely blessed. I was born into a Christian home, um, and I've been taught Jesus all of my life, my entire life, in this church. Um, in the 1930s, my great-grandparents, Frank and Blanche Smith, moved into the area out there and started attending that church at that point. Um, my dad worked with Pastor Crone and he, when he and my mom were first married, and that's how he got to know him. They got to be good friends, and that's when they used to first speak the North Goodland Church, and then us kids came along. Um, I got my first spanking on the way home from that church. <laughs> my one and only spanking from my dad. Um, he warned me if I wasn't a good girl in church, I was going to get a spanking on the way home. And apparently I was told that I wasn't a good girl. Not much has changed. <laughs> my dad is here today, so um, I'm going to have to be good. But my mom was totally shocked when dad pulled the car over to give me a spanking because that was never something dad did. He never did the discipline, if you know my dad. Um, but it must have worked because I'm usually pretty good. But um, there was no nursery. There was no um, junior church back then. You sat quietly in the pews, and we learned to do that. But we did have Sunday school class before church every, every Sunday. And I remember sitting in these little chairs in the upstairs of that church um, listening to Grandma Proctor or uh, Mrs. Woodworth teaching Sunday school. I'm sure Charmin was probably there. Um, I'm sure Steve was there, but I don't remember him because he probably had cooties or something at the time. Um, but I grew up there. Um, I was baptized in 1976 there. And I grew up remember, remembering every Sunday morning Pastor Crone preaching. And I would look around and I would see my great-grandma and Grandpa Smith sitting in those pews. Um, I remember seeing Grandma Proctor sitting in those pews. Um, the Cowflesh family, the Gilliland family. Um, the Linkies, the Seas, um, the Youngs family, the Stover family, Charmin and her family, so many of them. And I can still, I can still see where they were all sitting because we all sit in the same pews every week. And they, I can see where they were sitting. Um, one of our, our favorite um, services was the um, Friday, Good Friday Sing on Friday evening. We always had, on Good Fridays, we always had this sing, and it was an hour and a half long service or so, but it was all singing. It was my favorite season, favorite service of the entire year. Um, there's a picture of it someplace, I don't know, but it's, there's a picture of my dad. There it is. My dad, you can barely see that, but my dad was playing the guitar. My brother is playing the saxophone, and I'm playing a trumpet, and Ginger Young is playing a saxophone. And in the background, you can see Grandma Proctor getting ready to sing and Norma Cowflesh. Um, those were such cool memories. Those were my favorite services ever. Um, Pastor Crone married Steve and I in 1985. And then we moved down to the city for a few years. And we always came home to this church whenever we could. But um, when we moved back into the area, we started coming regularly. We dedicated our babies here. Our boys grew up here learning about Jesus just like Steve and I did. Um, then I remember one Sunday, um, this Detroit gangster kid showed up at our church. <laughs> and we were like, wow, where is he coming from? <laughs> but we watched him grow in the Lord, and we watched him go off to camp and dedicate his, his life to uh, a life of, of 
being, being called to be a preacher, and here he is. But I just love the fact that um, our families have been here for so many years. We, ra- we were raised here. We raised our boys here. Now they're serving here. And now we're, they're raising my grandbabies here. And I just hope that the values that we've shown our kids and we were shown will continue on and that someday my great-grandbabies will look around and see their great-grandma and grandpa sitting in the pews. Okay, so you can see that Kelly came prepared. I'm just going to pull things out. Um, I've been a, as a little kid, drug disease as a little kid. Uh, my grandma drugged me to church every Sunday. And so I'm very thankful for my grandma for doing that. She was uh, very consistent, and I was very persistent on not really wanting to go, but she did. She took us. Um, all three of us kids uh, would go, four of us sometimes. And then, um, so I remember going to Sunday school, and uh, I was very shy. I would go and sit in the corner. I would speak to no one. I would look at no one. And I would, when I was, Sunday school was done, I was so happy to get out. And, but um, looking back, I'm really thankful for my grandma, for what she did um, for me and my family. So that's, that's pretty cool um, to go back that far and, and, um, the persistence of, uh, of uh, one that wants to lead her family to, uh, to the Lord. And, and here we are, and I've been here ever since. I've never left uh, North Goodland. And um, so, as normal, when I get up here, I start talking. I forget everything and uh, everything that I wanted to say. And, but then when I get up here, I can't read either. Um, I just go blank. But I'm very thankful for um, the church. Uh, the church has been here for a long time. I'm thankful for all the different uh, men and families that have come up here and taken the pulpit and taken on the job that I feel I could never do. And um, uh, again, John coming from uh, a background and um, absolutely enjoy um, John as a, as a pastor. And um, uh, we're just thankful uh, for the church um, and the church family. It's not all about John. It's all about all of you um, as, a, as a family. Um, uh, that's, that's how we grow and that's how we, we learn and that's how we uh, serve. And uh, thank everybody for um, coming to church. Yeah, I want the chair, yeah. All right. Uh, thank you. I don't know who she's talking about, by the way. I don't know what kid she was talking about. It's a weird way to throw that in there. Um, so uh, I'm also, uh, I asked Dave uh, Aldridge to come and just share a little bit. Now Dave is getting over a little bit of a, a cold and whatnot, and so I'm so thankful he's able to be here today to share with us. And so Dory, his dear wife, um, is not able to be here today because I think he gave her what he had, which the Bible does say giving is better than receiving, right? So yeah. So Dave, why don't you share a little bit about your history here? Well, thank you. 
Uh, yeah, I don't have a sheet or anything, so Steve, I'm going off. And I'll probably forget things I wanted to say, too. But I've been going to North Goodland, well, I started going about 1958. Um, and Steve uh, and I are first cousins. And so uh, my grandmother um, would come and pick us up, Grandma Proctor, same grandma, and bring us to church. And um, I, I just, uh, there, there's so many, so many memories. Talking about uh, Tim and Christine, I, I can remember when uh, they were just going together, when we were part of the youth group back then. We didn't call it youth group back then. We called it uh, young people's meeting. And uh, we didn't have a uh, youth pastor. Um, we just kind of uh, were in charge of ourselves. And so we, we, would, uh, we would always, uh, you know, pick a leader. And um, uh, a lot of times it was um, uh, Tim. Uh, sometimes it was uh, um, Brian Crone, Pastor Crone's oldest son and stuff. But so, so many, so many memories I have. And uh, as Kelly said, the different people, the, the saints that have gone on, I can picture them. I just like Kelly, I can picture them where they sat. I can, I can picture uh, Elmer and Katie Muxlow. I can picture uh, uh, Whitmers. And I can picture <laughs> there was a older couple that used to sit over here and a uh, little bit hard of hearing, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Leo Craig. And uh, it'd be kind of quiet. And all of a sudden, what did he say? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but um, our, our youth group, um, uh, we had so much fun and uh, just so many memories. Um, there used to be a couple that owned the uh, Moffat's Corner store there, Howard and Lucille Caldwell. And uh, we would go over to their place at the store. There used to be a little apartment back of the store. And the youth group, we would meet there. And she would fix us pizza and stuff. And we would have, uh, you know, sleigh rides and everything else. Uh, but just so many memories. Um, the, the stage kind of went around. There was only two steps. And right over here. And then the, the back door, or the front door was out here, right over here on the second step, 1965, Bible school, the summer of 1965. It was uh, Uncle Bob Morgan was his name, and he did our Bible school. And um, I was too afraid to raise my hand when he said that, but afterwards... Him and Pastor Crone were talking, and I came up, and I said, I want to accept Jesus. And so on that second step, in 1965, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Um, to say I've lived for him every day of my life, um, I can't say that, but he is my Lord and Savior. In 1971... Uh, October 16th of 1971, uh, my wife and I were married. And um, 
This will be our 52nd year of marriage, which is wow. Um, but on our, when we celebrated our 50th year, I went and stood over at the old church. And um, it's funny when you close your eyes and you can relive your life, relive those memories and see those pictures. And uh, that's pretty neat. Um, it, within our youth group, we had, uh, I don't know if many of you know this or not, but um, Camp Michael over there um, is named after one of the boys that was uh, leader of our youth group. He was killed out on uh, 53, pulling out on of the store of Moffat's Corners there, was hit by a semi and was killed. And uh, his family donated that land over there. And I can remember as a kid going over there and clearing that land and stuff. But uh, Camp Michael is named after him. But, yeah, just uh, so many memories. I love this church. And we, um, um, like uh, Pastor uh, uh, John said, We've always been a mission-minded church, and I can remember uh, sitting and hearing missionaries come in and, and watching the films that they had and everything, but I love North Goodland. And the stage right here, when this was being built, one day we drove by, and my wife and I came in. There was nobody here. I said, I want to be the first one to sing up on the stage. <laughs> so. So I stood here and sang, he hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. And that's what he does. But I love all of you. And uh, God bless you, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. That's amazing. Uh, one more that I asked to share, and I know we could go for a while, but I asked Lynn Wilcox if she would come. So Lynn, why don't you come on up? Now, uh, some of you probably don't know Lynn uh, that well. Uh, that's because Lynn loves serving our children here. And every Sunday morning, she is down the hallway working with my wife, Sandra, in our junior church ministry. And so she doesn't get to be in church a whole lot. And so I was so thankful that she was able to join us this morning and come down here at this end and share a little bit about her history here at North Gillens. morning. I'm not used to this. I'm, like he said, I'm always done with the kids. And so I'm out of my comfort zone, which God always does to me. But um, when Pastor John asked me to speak, I wanted to say no. <laughs> and, but honestly, God said, you're going to do this. And so here we are. And I'll try to get through this. I guess I'll start my journey off on how God brought me to this church many years ago. After years of asking God, I wanted a Bible-preaching church. And so he, it took a year for him to lead me to... He sent my sister-in-law, Sandra. She was coming to North Goodland. And she had came up, and she had talked to me, and, and I had shared with her that I was looking for a church, and she said, hey, come on down. 
And so I took a couple weeks, but I came down, and I'm so glad I did. When I first started coming, there was around 50 to 75 people that was coming to that little building. But it didn't take long. After a few short, I would like to say short weeks, but it was more than short weeks. It was years that more and more people came. And soon the building was overflowing with people. And we went to two services in that little building, which was a little chaotic because you had to walk up a little narrow row of steps. And we would be walking, the first service would be walking down the steps and the first service would be walking out. And the parking lot was little too. And so that was just as chaotic, getting both services into that parking lot. But we made it work. And then I remember when Pastor John came in his first service, the first time that he preached. And he had preached at youth camp, and he was telling Pastor Tom about it. And Pastor Tom said, John, you can preach next Sunday. And he, he did. It was a little rough, but he did a great job. <laughs> I remember a handful of you when I first started coming to that little church, and when some of you first came for the first time. And you were such God-loving and caring people, just as you are now. I've watched them, as I've watched many of the people sitting here now, start their own families, as well as watching their kids grow and start their own families. And what a blessing it has been and still is. Now back to the little church. I just want to talk about the transition from the little church to the church that we're in now. We had tried many different options to add on and buying more land there so we could add on to the building. But God closed all the doors to them options. Then he opened the door to the property, to this property in the building. And by the grace of God, we bought the land, we built this church, and we moved in, and the church was filled. Never losing sight of the Bible-preaching church that we were before the transition of the building. As life goes, and when we think that things are going so great, God puts a little bump in the road. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm getting nervous. And this and this bump in the road was not only a big change in the church, but it was also where God taught me the most of what church is really about. I thought coming to church was about us all getting fed the word of God. And that's a huge part. And we are getting fed the word of God. But that's not what it's all about. It's about uplifting each other, laughing with each other, listening to each other, 
crying with each other, praying with each other, and loving each other with unconditional love, like a family does. And that's how I look at all of you, as my family. I look forward to every Sunday morning knowing that I get to get up and get ready and come and spend the morning with you, glorifying God and sharing time with all of you brings me great joy. I am so thankful for this journey that God had with this church as well as continuing my journey with all of you. And I'm excited to see what God has in store for the next 125 years for this church. So on that note, when my journey on this earth is done, I'm looking forward to sharing eternity with all of you. So thank you for blessing me, and I pray that I have blessed you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Well, if that encouraged you this morning, say amen. amen. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. What a blessing. If you are uh, new with us this morning, we are in a series going through the Passion Week, the last uh, life or the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And we'll be in Mark chapter 11. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided there in the seats, you can turn to page 708. So in the seats, there are some Bibles that you can use. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, that's not a problem. We encourage you to, to grab one of those Bibles, turn to page 708, and there you'll find Mark chapter 11. And we'll be starting in verse 15. And so here, uh, we, I do want to share as we get into the message, um, just how thankful I am for those that shared this morning. Um, what a blessing it is to hear of the history, the heritage, the impact, um, to hear of so many that made a difference in uh, these lives that were represented before you. And I know it's, it's, it's kind of hard to think about that when we come to church on a Sunday, but what Lynn's shared is, is 100% true. Yes, we're fed the word of God. Yes, we worship and we praise him. But we also have a great opportunity to encourage one another, to lift up one another, to cry and pray for and with one another. And so I'm so thankful for those testimonies that were shared. Uh, again, in case anyone is curious, on the board in the fellowship hall, there are a couple pictures that made it onto the board of when I first started coming to the church. Because I know after hearing this morning, you're like, what in the world? was going on in 1998. It was just a crazy time, I'll tell you that. The style was different. The hair was different. My son was trying to mimic my mushroom haircut, parted down the middle, 97, 98, you know, haircut. So those are on the board. If you're looking for any kind of, you know, humor this afternoon, stop by, check that out. Um, Keith, as well, is on the board from back in the day. He looks much better than I do. I don't know what happened. I was, he, he looks fine. I'm the one with the weird haircut. I don't know what's going on. But, um, but no, check those out. It'll be a great encouragement to you, I'm sure. But here we're going to start in Mark chapter 11. Again, we've been studying through the Passion Week of the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And again, we remember that this will take us right up till Easter. 
uh, following Easter, the resurrection, obviously, or following the resurrection, we know that Jesus spent about 40 days ministering to his disciples, walking with his disciples, encouraging them. And so when we say this is the last week of Jesus's life, we're not meaning that obviously we know he resurrected and lives today, uh, but we're saying that earthly ministry, that last week of his earthly ministry. And so we want to focus in on a few things this morning. So Mark chapter 11 and look at verses uh, 15 through 17. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. It would not suffer that any man should carry on any vessel, or should carry, rather, any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for this morning already, all that was shared. I pray it was an encouragement, not only to us, Lord, but I pray that it glorified you. Uh, Lord, what a heritage to hear about people looking around and seeing grandparents and even great-grandparents involved in the service. What a blessing it is to know that we right now, as we're raising our children, or there are those here that are raising grandchildren in the Lord, that, that the, the multi-generational faith that's being spread and encouraged, uh, Lord, I think of Steve and Kelly Proctor, Lord, to have that heritage before them and to now see their children and grandchildren in the Lord, in the church. Oh, Lord, what a blessing. And I pray that you'd encourage our hearts and minds this morning in all of that. Lord, open your word to us as we spend just a few moments in your word. I pray that you would uh, just make these truths clear to us, help us in these disciplines that we're going to speak to, and again, that you would be glorified. Strengthen us now in understanding, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we see Jesus cleansing the temple or clearing the temple. And this is actually the second time that Jesus cleansed the temple. Uh, He drove them out earlier in his ministry in John chapter 2. So he began his ministry with kind of a clearing of the temple. And he kind of finishes his ministry with the cleansing of the temple. I don't believe God does anything by accident. I believe both of those things are very intentional. I believe it's intentional when he's doing this as well. And here we see that he is emphasizing to them the purpose of the temple. Why does the temple exist? And he's going to remind them of this and then obviously tie it into his own death, burial, and resurrection. It seems again that his earlier cleansing in John 2 was a temporary cleansing, meaning he cleansed the temple, he cleared the temple, he declared the truth, and they really didn't understand. They really didn't apply this in a long-lasting way. They instantly went back to, within a couple years, going back to the ways they were doing business. Again, this is a temporary change, but one that Jesus is emphasizing needs to take place. This account is also recorded of him cleansing the temple in Matthew chapter 21, Luke chapter 19, and uh, those are the other examples in the Gospels where we find this cleansing. Uh, Jesus is actually, I believe, doing a very key thing here. He's drawing their attention to the purpose of the temple, but he's also preparing them for the cross. He's preparing them for the cross. What he's going to be doing is drawing their attention to the cross of Christ, that he's going to die for their sins, be buried, and rise again. And he's doing this to prepare them because their hearts have drifted in worship. They've drifted in their understanding of why they even gather to worship. 
why they even come to the temple. It's been forgotten. And he's reminding them and drawing their attention to these things. You see, here we see that Jesus is restoring a very key thing here. Jesus is restoring the purpose of the temple. He's restoring the purpose of the temple. You see, this moment must have been shocking for those that were at the temple. Jesus, as the Son of God, God himself, was filled with righteous anger because his father's house was being degraded, was being used as a place to harbor those that were mistreating and and, and robbing and ripping people off. And Jesus is so angry at this, a righteous anger as God himself. This is his father's house. And this is also a place where he receives worship. And he, in righteous anger, cleanses the temple, clears the temple. And again, when you think about the people that were being mistreated and robbed by the money changers, Jesus was upset that the house of God became a den of thieves. That phrase is interesting, den of thieves. It's where thieves go to feel welcomed. It's where thieves and robbers go with like-minded people to feel at peace. They don't have to fear persecution because they're with those that are like them. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you've made this a den of thieves. It's just, it's just commonplace here for you to treat people this way. A place where the poor were taken advantage of. Where they should be welcomed and invited in to worship. They were being mistreated and cast aside. The religious leaders, instead of being the shepherds they were called to be, the shepherds caring for the people through prayer, were allowing the people to be robbed in the name of God. Jesus actually quotes, and you can jot it down, Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, and Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, to rebuke what was happening in the midst of the temple. One author said it this way, instead of praying for the people, the priests were praying on the people. Instead of praying for the people, the priests were praying on the people. Now we have to pause here because Jesus is not seen as this kind of Jesus in our day and age. Jesus is not seen as a Jesus that would come in and tip over some tables and run some people out. Earlier in John chapter 2 is where it talks about he made a whip and he whipped them out of the temple. That is not the Jesus that culture and that progressive and liberal Christianity think of when they think of Jesus. They think of a very docile, weak, soft-spoken, never confrontational, you're fine, you just do you, and, and in the end, I'll work it all out type of Jesus. But that is not the Jesus we read about in Scripture. Well, Jesus would never tell me that what I was doing was wrong because Jesus loves me. No, no, no. Jesus loves you so much, he will tell you what is wrong. He will correct our behavior by the working now of the Holy Spirit, but here in the physical. Why? Because he desires ultimately that God is glorified. But ultimately, there's another part of this, that he desires that we would come into a right understanding with what God requires so that we might worship him effectively, that we are full of joy and blessed with peace. And so here again, Jesus declared that the Father's house, we read it in the text, is not a place of making money where you're to rip people off, as we see these individuals doing. Jesus declared that it was a house of prayer. A house of prayer. Obviously, other things took place in the temple beyond prayer. There were sacrifices and other things. But Jesus emphasizes prayer as the most primary purpose of the temple. So why does Jesus do this? Why is Jesus so adamant about restoring the purpose of the temple to be a place of prayer, a house of prayer? Ultimately, because I believe Jesus is restoring 
the purpose of the temple for the glory of the Father. Why all of this? Because he's restoring the purpose of the temple for the glory of the Father. You see, these things that were taking place, all these money changers and all this, was actually happening in what's called the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles. This is where non-Jews would gather. This is the closest they could get into the temple. They could not go any farther because they were non-Jews. And yet this is where they would gather. And in this court, in this place, is where the money changers and these individuals were selling these sacrifices and ripping people off. And I want you to think for a moment, as Gentiles, what do they see taking place? As non-Jews, what do they see being emphasized? Let me put it this way. Is this a missional mindset or a money-making mindset of the priests and the religious leaders? It's not missional. It's not about trying to get these individuals to understand who God is. Instead of calling them to repent, they sought their own greed. In cleansing the temple, Jesus was displaying more than authority than that of a religious leader. He was actually showing that this is my father's house and I determine what happens here. So many people think, well, wasn't Jesus wrong to get angry? No, see, anger is actually something that God has. There's nothing wrong with being angry. But what does the Bible say? Be angry and sin not. You see, Jesus, as the God-man, got angry. And yet, in an appropriate sense, without sin, exercised that anger in an appropriate judgment. He knew exactly what needed to happen, what should happen, and that's what he did. You and I, as fallen human beings, we cannot claim righteous anger unless we are 100% sure that we know exactly what needs to happen and how it needs to happen. And odds are, you don't. Some people say, well, I was righteously angry. Well, you're fallen, so be careful how you use that. Can we get mad in the defense of the glory of God? Absolutely. We can get upset about that. But how we handle that is where we need to be very, very careful. We can't use this example of, I'm going to go in and I'm going to run people out of that building with a whip. I don't know if that's a good idea. Again, we, we, I, we should be upset when the glory of God is being defamed. We should be upset when God is being degraded and put down. We should, it should bother us, but we need to be so careful how we handle that. And again, here we see Jesus demonstrating this was his father's house, and it existed for the father's glory. He was restoring the purpose of the temple for the glory of the Father. And how does he emphasize the glory of the Father? That it's to be a house of prayer. In the King James translation, it says that it is of all nations, the house of prayer. Now, the word order gives the impression that other nations will identify the temple as a house of prayer. Maybe even just for the Jews. But really, it is not saying that it is just a place of prayer for the Jews. It is actually saying it is a house of prayer for all nations. Again, in the King James, it might confuse you a little bit there. Of all nations, the house of prayer. But it's not saying it's only a house of prayer for the Jews. It's saying, no, 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 no. This is a house of prayer for all nations. And the word nations there actually is translated better as a tribe, a family, or a people group, a language group. What does that mean? That God's house, his temple in Jesus' day was meant to be a place of prayer for anyone and everyone that wanted to come and pray and seek him. And that is why Jesus, I believe, was so bothered by this. Because as these Gentiles are coming, they're completely missing the point of what this is supposed to be. Just as the gospel is good news for all people. Those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved because God desires that all nations would come to Christ. 
that all peoples would come to Christ. I believe that just as Jesus had to realign the people with the proper view of the temple, being a house of prayer and worship to God, we need to consistently be realigned from time to time to realize the purpose of his church to be a place of prayer and worship to God. That this is a place of prayer and worship to God, that primarily we gather to seek him, to worship him. And I believe that as we seek him in prayer and we allow him to conform our hearts and our minds to his will, to his way of thinking, we will be the kind of church that Lynn talked about, that uplifts one another, that prays with and for one another, that loves and encourages one another, that cries with one another. That's how we become that kind of church is to be centered and bathed in prayer. But if we're being honest, as we talked about in our men's Bible study this last week, many of us struggle with consistent prayer time. More than just, and there's nothing wrong with praying for your food, but I, I want to encourage you, you can go to him then more just before you eat. You can spend time with him and engage him in prayer and time of communication where you share your heart with him and you understand from the word of God how he desires to conform you to his image. I truly believe that as we remember all the Lord has done through this church throughout so many years, we cannot neglect the power of prayer in sustaining his church in grace. I will never forget the old church altar filled Sunday after Sunday. When we prayed and asked God and believed God could build the building that you're sitting in. And some of you were there for that. You remember seeing the altar, that little tiny altar, as Dave said, with just two steps, just filled with people. Not even at the altar, but coming back towards the aisles. I remember people, it, the teens, we used to sit up front. We sit literally second from the front usually. And there were people in the center aisle just praying. Believing God could do this. You're sitting in the fruit of what God can do when God's people cry out and say, we believe and we'll surrender to whatever you want to do. And when I think about that, that's the kind of prayer that produces a type of faith that we believe God to do what he wants to do, not what we want him to do. And we pray and we seek him. And if it's, if it's his will and he answers in the affirmative, we praise God. If his will is a no, we praise God. I can't help but think back to when that little church called Pastor Tom Blount to come and be the preacher there. And I think about Milo and Joan and Marie. It's so good to have Milo with us this morning. Praise God to have him here. I think about these individuals that said, no, we're not going to let the doors close. We could close the doors. We don't have a pastor that really wants to, to fill the pulpit right now. And we're kind of here and there. And we've got a guy. And then they're gone after a year. And, and you know, we really don't know. And, and those individuals said, no, we're not going to close the doors on this church because we believe God has something in store. And they sought him. And they sought him. And they sought him. And God showed up again and again and again. And God did something that only God can do. And by the faith of a small group of individuals, 30 or 40 people, God has shown himself over and over again. And it shouldn't surprise us because he doesn't need a crowd. He just, he just needs one to say, I'll be available. Because ultimately, it's all for him anyway. And he's doing all of this. As I said before, I truly believe the best is yet to come. But I also believe God is inviting all of us 
to seek his face in prayer and ask that he would continue to build his church. That we would emphasize the value and love for Christ and his word, for his glory alone. That we would pray and seek his face, that we would value him and his word for his glory above all else. You can build a church in our culture a lot of different ways. But when you seek him and you ask him to build his church and that lasting fruit that is abiding, and that's what we've seen testified to this morning. That lasting, continual fruit. So I don't want to grow a church. I don't want to grow a building. I don't want to grow a program. I want to cry out to God and say, no, no, Lord, we want you to build your church. And we want to be a part of that. I'm so thankful that this morning we're able to celebrate that. I'm so thankful the Lord led us to this passage at this time. Because again, I want to encourage you. Maybe you need to be realigned. I know I do. With a proper view for his church. And what this church is here to be. And who we're called to be. Let's seek him in prayer. Let's devote our attention to him. And here's what I want to ask you to do. You don't have to come forward. You can do this in your seats. If you'd like to come forward, you can. In just a moment, we're going to have time of invitation where the band's going to come and and lead us in a song of worship. But here's what I want you to do. If you feel led of God to do so, I'd like you to come and just bend a knee and say, Lord, we're going to ask that you'd continue to build your church. We're going to ask that you'd continue to do what only you can do as you grow this church for your glory. So maybe you'd come and say, Lord, build your church and help us to conform to what you have for us. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer as we spend the time of invitation? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that meets us here. I'm so thankful for the opportunity we have to, to come before you, to seek you, to seek your face. And Lord, we thank you for the heart of those that shared this morning. And Lord, we know there could be so many more that could share. Father, I thank you for the power that prayer has played in all of this. That individuals in a little country church just sought your face, just cried out to you. And Lord, you showed yourself mighty and strong time and time again. And again, Lord, prayer is not about us telling you what to do. You're not a genie or a vending machine. We just put in our prayer request and out comes our wants. You are God of all creation. You are the one that knows best for your will and for your glory, for our blessing. And so when we pray, we ask that first our hearts are conformed to your way of thinking. That we conform to your will and conform to the image of Christ. And then we pray and we ask those things that we believe would be in agreement with your will. And then we leave them in your hands because we trust you to do what only you can do. And so, Father, again, we pray that as we commit this again, this church anew today, Lord, to be realigned and, and under the authority of your word and under the authority of what you have for us, that you would be glorified here, that people would come to know Christ, that the baptismal waters would continue to be stirred and people would follow you in, in discipleship and be hungry for you, Lord. And in the years and years to come, we would see this place be a beacon of hope to a community in need of the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you would build your church for your glory alone. And Father, again, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as our Lord and personal Savior, 
We pray, Father, you work in their hearts and minds by the working of the Holy Spirit. Convict them of their sin. Draw them unto repentance that they would turn from their sin and trust Christ. And again, Lord, why? But for your glory. And so, Lord, again, thank you for this morning. Bless now this time of invitation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning if you would like to come and pray and say, Lord, build your church. And I want to be a part of what you're doing. Help me to conform to what you have. Maybe you'd come and bend a knee and pray. Again, either there in your seats or you'd like to come forward and pray. Let's seek him this morning as we sing this song of invitation.